invite you to find a Bible, and if you will, turn to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Our text for the morning for the second Sunday of Advent comes from Isaiah chapter 11. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find this text uh, in the Old Testament. You'll find this text in your pew Bible on page 640. Hear now these words from Isaiah, beginning at the first verse of chapter 11. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness. He shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the winged child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples, and nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. This is the word of God. Friends, I love the word restore. Anytime I hear the word restore, I feel a joy in my spirit. The word restore means to, to bring back or to put back into a former or original state. And even if you go look up the synonyms for restore, you find some words that I hope will bring joy to your spirit. Words like refreshing, rejuvenate, repair, Revitalize, revivify, regenerate, renew, or revive. The text before us this morning is a text that paints a beautiful picture of that day. That day is to come when God in Christ will refresh and will rejuvenate, repair, revitalize, revivify, regenerate, renew, revive all of creation. It is important that we as Christians know how to view the world around us. It is important that we as Christians know how to bring Christian interpretive lens to what's going on around us in the world. We as Christians look at life differently. We look at circumstances differently. 
We look at history differently. As Christians, part of our calling in this world is to be those people who view all of life and history through what we call in the Christian tradition, salvation history. We view everything that's going on in the world around us, even what's going on in our lives, through what God is doing. That's salvation history. How God is working in history. In, in salvation history, we see the past, we see the present, and we even can see the future that is to come. And we as Christians seek to interpret situations, circumstances, events through those lens. We are primarily a people created by God in order to live through the presence of God. We even keep a calendar according to the life of Christ. That's why we've started our calendar over again. This is Advent, the beginning of the Christian calendar, because our Christian calendar is based on the life of Jesus. We view time through the life of Jesus. We should view all of history through salvation history. So let me just briefly remind us what salvation history looks like. What the Bible declares God has done, God is doing, and God will do one day. Because sometimes we can get confused. And we begin to interpret the circumstances of life as if what is happening is all that will ever happen. What we're getting is all that we'll ever get. But when we view circumstances and history through the work of God, salvation history, we see things differently. So the Bible, of course, helps us to view the world and history around us with a lens that, that is clear to what God is doing. Of course, salvation history begins at the beginning. There in Genesis 1 and 2, God created God created all of creation, and we are creatures. That's Genesis 1 and 2. And there in Genesis 1 and 2, when God created, God declared that all creation was good. We like Genesis 1 and 2. We like to be able to look at every human being. We like to be able to look at, at all of creation and say life is good. But we have more in the Bible than just Genesis 1 and 2. When you get to Genesis 2, Three, there occurs what we in the Christian community call the fall. There in Genesis 3, we see that congenital problem of the human race. That problem that uh, is what we call theologically sin, our brokenness, our rebellion, how we have fallen into rebellion, and because of falling into rebellion, falling away from God, uh, we are subject to decay. So there's Genesis 3 and the rest of the Bible. The rest of the Bible shows us what God does in response to the present human predicament. I'm going to get back to talking about some good news, but before we ever can share the good news, we have to talk about the bad news. What is it that the good news, we have a theological term for that, gospel, what is it that the gospel answers? Well, the good news answers the bad news. The fall declares that we as human beings and all of creation 
are outside the perfect will of God today. I hope that you've noticed you're not in the Garden of Eden anymore, Toto. When you look around us at human nature, when you look around us at the world, we are not still in that original goodness. Something's happened. We are in that predicament, that proverbial spot between a rock and a hard place. And we, we have a lot of illustration in the Bible and in social media and in the evening news as to what this predicament looks like. We are people bent away from God. We are people bent on rebellion. We know that about creation, or I hope that you know that about creation. Creation is beautiful, but we're not in Eden anymore, Toto. Creation is beautiful, but creation has fallen. It's outside the perfect will of God. We know that. Hurricanes, tornadoes, tsunamis, famines. There's something very, very imperfect about creation. It has fallen away from the original goodness. I always find myself getting rather offended when I hear people in our culture refer to disasters such as hurricanes, tornadoes, and tsunamis as acts of God. They are not acts of God. They come from Genesis 3 and beyond. They're part of the fallen condition of creation. So they're not acts of God. We need to be very careful in life to not confuse life with God, God with life. So the predicament, even in creation, is that creation is fallen. So nature may be beautiful, but nature is not perfect. You know, I like to remind people that just because it's natural doesn't mean it's good. Rattlesnake venom is natural, but it's not good. There's something out of kilter about creation around us. There's a strife even among the animals in the world around us. There's something that needs redeemed, delivered, saved, salvaged, even about creation. Now, we certainly seem to be aware that that's the situation with the human race. We're not in Eden anymore, Toto. We are out of paradise, and we're east of Eden, and we're a long way east of Eden when you look at the human condition. Much of the Bible is there to remind us the human condition. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to, prone to leave the God I love. That's the human condition. So we can go to a text like the first chapter of Romans. Uh, Romans, of course, is Paul's most, we think, Paul's most systematic account of Christian theology, of what we in the Christian community believe. And in Romans, after he does his introductory material, he begins to paint a picture as to how the whole human race needs redemption. In chapter 1, and then in chapter 2, he paints a picture as to how the whole Jewish people need redemption. And then he sort of summarizes his points by saying, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But in Romans 1, we can see a picture of how Paul paints the predicament. How Paul paints what it means to be in rebellion from God, which is the natural human condition. So if, you will, if you'll indulge me for just a moment, let me offer you this extended passage from Romans chapter 1. Romans obviously is in the New Testament, Romans chapter 1. Let me begin reading at verse 18 where Paul paints a picture of our, our need. 
paints a picture of the bad news before he tells you the good news. So Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and following, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, His eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things He has made. So they are without excuse. The Apostle Paul says, there's enough of God visible in creation as it is, that all human beings are without excuse. For though they knew God, Paul goes on to say, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. We are people who think futilely. And Paul goes on to say, and their senseless minds were darkened. We are people of a darkened mind. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling, resembling a mortal human being or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the degrading of their bodies among themselves. One of my favorite quotations from a work by C.S. Lewis comes from The Great Divorce, where George MacDonald in that fantasy says that there are only two kinds of people in the world. In the end, there are only two kinds of people in the world. They are those who look to God and says to God, Thy will be done. And then the other type of person are those people to whom God will eventually look at and say, Thy will be done. We either offer our lives to God, we lay down our arms of rebellion, or we continue in our rebellion, and our will is more important than, than God's will. And eventually God, out of great esteem for us, will say, Thy will be done. For this reason, Paul says, God gave them up to degrading passions. Their women exchanged natural intercourse for unnatural and in the same way, also the men, giving up natural intercourse with women, were consumed with passion for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind and to things that should not be done. They were filled with every kind of wickedness. So there's the predicament. There's a proverbial being caught between a rock and a hard place. There's the bad news that the good news comes to answer. We're not in paradise anymore, Toto. And we need God to do something about that in order to, to right-wise us, to set us right again. And that leads us back to the vision. The vision that we saw in Isaiah Chapter 11, there's coming a day when God will make all things right. There's coming a day when God will restore and we will be back in paradise again. And it will be an even better paradise than we lost. And of course, the paradise is established by Jesus Christ. You notice the text. Look with me for a moment at the text again. 
Beginning at verse 1, a shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. When Isaiah was writing, because of the Assyrians and because of the Babylonians, the, the royal Davidic line seemed to be gone, seemed to be dead. But Isaiah is saying, don't let, don't, don't let uh, your observations color you too strongly. Because sometimes what we see can be misleading. And here Isaiah is saying, even though the line of Jesse, the line of David, appears to be gone or dead, a shoot shall come out from that stump. A shoot shall come out from that stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. You'll notice that word branch oftentimes capitalized, is, is capitalized, and frequently it gets its way into a lot of our Advent Christmas hymns. And then this branch that will sprout up, surprisingly, from the apparently dead line of David, well, look, according to verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. That is a beautiful picture of Jesus. Jesus in his first advent. And as I've said, when we're looking at these prophecies from the Hebrew Bible about the Messiah, if they were not fulfilled in the first advent, then they're left to be fulfilled in the second advent. And that's why there's a little break here in the text. And Isaiah goes on to paint a picture of part of what will happen in the second coming. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. That's his word. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around the waist and faithfulness the belt around the loins. So there's a full picture of the Messiah. And when the Messiah completes his work, when the Messiah finishes his work, we see a restored creation. An amazing picture. The wolf shall live with the lamb. Now, right now, the wolf will eat the lamb. But there's coming a time when the wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together. Well, today the lion would eat the calf. But there's coming a time when they will be in harmony, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze together. Well, they don't graze together now. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. There's coming a day when, when lions will no longer be carnivorous, but they'll be vegetarian as all creation comes back into harmony. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp. That's a snake. And the winged child, a little older child, shall put its hand on the adder's den. And then here's a summary statement in verse 9. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. And we know what the holy mountain is. That's Mount Zion. That's Mount Moriah. That's what we call Jerusalem. They will not hurt or destroy on all my, all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea, you could translate that same Hebrew there by saying, the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
So the bad news is we're in a predicament. The good news is but God did what is necessary, is doing what is necessary to redeem, deliver, salvage, save us from this predicament. We love this age in which we live. God is doing remarkable stuff in this age through the power of His Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel. But this age is nothing compared to the glory of the age to come. Make sure you're viewing the circumstances of your life. Make sure you're, you're viewing social media and you're viewing the, the evening news broadcast through salvation history to be able to view the world around us appropriately. During the, season we're, during the season of Advent, we're talking about hope. You know, if we were not people of faith, this picture of hope, particularly the future peaceful kingdom that is painted here so dramatically by Isaiah, it would almost be an unbelievable sight. But because of the God that we know, it's believable. Because of the God who will not deny himself, the God who cannot lie, it is believable. This is the way we view what is coming. I am afraid that there's a lot of hopeless people in the world. We can look at people, we can listen to people sometimes, and their cynicism, their bitterness, their doubts, their critical spirit, all sort of displays a lack of hope. There's a lot of hopeless people in this world. We should be the ones who know the good news. We should be the ones who can offer hope to this world. Now, let me be clear, to quote an old gospel song, if you are without Christ, you are lost and undone and without hope in this world. But if you know Christ, if you've embraced Christ, or I guess perhaps better said, if you have allowed Christ to embrace you, you have a remarkable, remarkable hope for this life, 